0: Hello, and welcome to the Legal 500 podcast. I'm Barnaby Merrill. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Eric Stahl, the Vice President of Global Markets at Lex Mundi. Eric, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Barnaby, good to be here. So we're going to have a conversation today about uh, stakeholderism and issues facing uh, in-house counsel and uh, shareholders as well. So I guess first things first, Eric, so looking back at 2022, as, as far away as that kind of seems nowadays, um, 2022 proved to be a pretty difficult year, a uh, number of regulatory shifts, uh, particularly pressures on energy prices as a result of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. What was the broad picture that General Counsel reported during 2022 uh, in terms of new and ongoing issue, issues for businesses? Well, I think as a broad picture, and, and you rightly know that uh, it presented a number of, of difficulties
1: uh, for general counsel. We, we refer to those as uh, global crosswinds because as with any crisis, there there can be opportunity as well. And we wanted to allow for the possibilities of, of where those opportunities might arise. Uh, but we saw two broad, uh, broad aspects as far as a the picture they presented to us. One was unpredictability. And we saw unpredictability on three different fronts. Of course, um, we saw a continued fragmentation of the geopolitical environment. Um, obviously, the war in Ukraine being the most violent uh, manifestation of that, uh, but um, that not being the only uh, geopolitical fragmentation that we saw. Uh, the uh, the tensions over Taiwan, of course, uh, come to mind. But then other other sorts of ways in which the world seems to be breaking up into competing blocks and some centered around China and some poised uh, and arranged, perhaps, to contain China, uh, but then other other blocks as well emerging. Um, it also gave a lot of unpredictability uh, on the regulatory sphere because regulation particularly in the stakeholder uh, uh, themes and topics that we'll be talking about seems to be the strongest trend that emerged out of 2022 and and will continue. And then uh, finally, in the broad stakeholder environment, uh, tremendous unpredictability for companies Um, when you think about their stakeholders beyond just shareholders, uh, but you think about the broader public, their employees, their consumers, their suppliers, and of course, regulatory authorities. So across the, the entire waterfront of stakeholders, uh, there was uh, much more unpredictability in 2022, and we would see that continuing. And then activism seemed to be very high, um, not only um, from shareholders um, or directly from other constituencies that I've mentioned Um and, um, you know, beyond sort of shareholder resolutions, uh, which had increased, um, there are a lot of pressures uh, coming from the investor community, um, you know, which, which many GCs perceive to be as a, a rather opaque process of e- ESG rating and ESG metrics uh, that they have to keep up with. And that's, that's, that is keeping them up at night.
0: On the topic of activist shareholders, um, I guess another big theme of twenty twenty two as well in terms of shareholder concerns and demands is obviously um, supply chain driving prices up, um, as well as kind of the general end of the uh, the era of cheap money in terms of low interest rates, etc., which also dampen potential investment opportunities. Um, so, what does this kind of mean generally for the behaviour of activist shareholders? That, that's a really good question. And it's one we
1: wanted to look at last year, because when we saw the inflation coming um, and the, the turn in the markets occur, uh, which really put an end to what had been an impressive bull run that 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 continued uh, through the, the difficulties of the pandemic. Um, You might have expected in the face of those changes and in a tighter market conditions uh, that prevailed uh, for shareholder activism to have abated. Um, But when we compared the numbers of resolutions voted on at large cap companies, uh, we found there were actually more of those in 2022 than in the years before. So there seemed to be no abating of activism at all. Um, At the same time, uh, there is a a countervailing trend, which was that uh, there is a smaller number of shareholder resolutions which were actually approved by majority votes. Um, And we don't know, of course, whether in each of those cases, and there are are hundreds of those cases, we don't know uh, whether uh, this lack of support for proposals was a function of, you know, the substance of the proposals themselves as to whether they were overreaching or perhaps the fact, alternatively, the fact that companies uh, were already seen to be responsive to the demands, um, and perhaps it, it was some some degree to which um, the, the prevailing uh, headwinds, as you've mentioned, led some shareholders to want to refocus on value creation in terms of profitability and
0: and uh, financial performance results. Another um, trend that you mentioned uh, in your in your first answer was sort of environmental and, and ESG concerns, which are also very much at the, the forefront of shareholder concerns. Um, how much of this uh, is an acceleration of existing shareholder campaigns? You know, I think we've, we've been hearing about these kind of ESG-driven campaigns for a while now, but uh, but what's also new in terms of more recent trends and, and, and pressures from, from the last year?
1: Yeah, you're, you're definitely right that it's an acceleration of the existing uh, trends. And if you look at it, ESG had an uninterrupted 10-year run um, from about 2011. Uh, or sort of maybe an 11-year run, I guess, for that matter, um, where it had an accelerated path from starting out as, as what were really voluntary corporate commitments um, and pledges um, to now something uh, that is being enforced with the teeth of real regulation. And we saw that come to bear um, considerably around some high-profile greenwashing, dawn raids and cases around um, significant asset managers. Um, 2022 brought um, the the run for ESG and the the bull run for it, if you will, to an end as far as the financial market performance was concerned. Um, Many asset managers have had to write down the share of their investments that they had previously designated as ESG. um, And overall, um, uh, ESG-designated funds uh, underperformed the market in terms of um, how much Investments were withdrawn from those funds, um, outpacing what was withdrawn from the market overall. Um, so um, there's there's no question that all the major asset managers are continuing to exert enormous financial muscle behind ESG and that agenda on companies. Uh, but there are some some countervailing trends here to suggest um, that muscle may not be as as strong as it used to be.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I guess on that on that final point is. Probably fair to say there has also been a bit of a, a backlash to the to the ESG agenda. I mean, partially for uh, ideological reasons among some investors on 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 either side of the spectrum, and also as you've mentioned, due to sort of more broad scepticism of the efficacy of the ESG at present. You've mentioned things like greenwashing. Um, what do general councils sort of generally feel about that situation right now?
1: Well, um, as you might expect, among general counsel, and, and we've we've just completed a series of roundtables uh, where we hosted um, uh, about uh, fifty of them um, last week in London. Um, so this is uh, uh, w- w- what I'm going to say. Will <laughs> will be backed up by very recent uh, input that we've had. Um, but among general counsels, you might expect there is uh, there is certainly broad support. Uh, behind the objectives of, of diversity and uh, inclusion, as well as climate change action, and decarbonization efforts and plans, to, uh, to 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 try to try to address those issues that they need to. Um, but there's also a sense that they are being stretched to a breaking point. Um, businesses simply can't afford to hire enough in-house legal and compliance staff really to keep up with the extent of demands across the ESG agenda. As you know, ESG is very comprehensive in its details and all of the things that are covered. Um, And
0: there's a recognition that not everything can be achieved at once. On the topic of balancing internal and external stakeholders, it's an eternal issue for GCs and businesses. But um, how has that shifted in the current climate? Are these demands becoming more aligned? Um,
1: no, I think, I think really what you're seeing is that the different types of stakeholders are pulling C-suites and with them, the general counsel and legal functions in very different directions. Um, there, um, there are maybe two or three, uh, factors here to think about. Uh, One is the multiplication of stakeholders and their interest. Um. So um, with respect to that, I, I, there is a realization among some general counsel that that indeed there are internal contradictions and difficult dilemmas that are presented with the ESG agenda. Um, so the days of thinking that um, one could be compliant with ESG in the context of a buoyant financial market that would support investments and, and difficult choices um, are, are, are passe. And what you're starting to find is uh, that Uh, general counselor having to guide their companies on making some very difficult trade-offs. If you consider climate change as an example, there's a question of how do we actually get there and and at the same time steer clear from human rights abuses in the supply chain. Um, If you look at the use of cobalt, lithium, polysilicon to drive the green revolution, or if you look at the amount of energy that gets generated or needs to be generated and often by fossil fuels to drive technology or to drive electric vehicles. you know, you have to think about which is the priority actually. And if you start to extend into, uh, and judging companies based on uh, things as far down as scope three emissions, then it becomes very difficult actually, um, to, to know which the priority should be and how to focus in the right way. Um, similarly, if you try to hire for the best talent, it may be that at times you, you can dilute your DNI metrics. Maybe if you hire, uh, a, you know a, a male with a diverse background you dilute your your female representation on a board or in a or in a senior management team so these are things um, that have to be reconciled um, and, and they're not easy to reconcile for a lot of general counsel, of course, but they're, these are the, the, the real, the real issues that come, come to play and, and can cause some misalignment because as Abraham Lincoln used to say, uh, you can, you know, it's hard to please all the people all of the time.
0: I think that's the first, uh, Lincoln quote we've had on the podcast. Actually, it's, uh, overdue, I think. Um, finally, uh, we've been talking kind of largely about trends from, from the previous year and kind of, Current continuing trends, um, but what is twenty twenty three showing us so far in terms of all the broad trends that we've discussed? Uh, we're almost halfway through, unbelievably somehow. Um, but yeah, what 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 has the year looked like in terms of these these trends that we've discussed, and um, and what I suppose is your outlook moving forward, as well as others um, and, and and people involved, you know, in in house and and probably in private practice as well
1: well that, I guess I would say not not notwithstanding um, the fact that the markets perhaps have held up a little bit better uh, than might have been might have been foreseen at the beginning of the year and we we're continuing to hear from people in the m a space for instance a um, a is a, 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 a certain sustained demand and and uh, activity that might not have been expected at the beginning of the year. Um, we see three areas really uh, apart from that where, where general counsel should be thinking about, uh, should be thinking. And um, one of them is that the overall and the geopolitical environment with respect to greater fragmentation, tight market conditions, strict regulation and stakeholder expectations, all of those things are going to continue to be very difficult. Um, The second thing is that um, with respect to regulation, Um, the focus on supply chain compliance is also um, coming into force now in places like Germany. Uh, It's pending in places like Japan. These are extraterritorial rules. It's the new FCPA and anti-bribery movement, if you will. Um, but it's going to, um, allow and, and require companies to focus more effectively on climate change and climate footprint and human rights at the same time. Um, and so, um, general counsel are going to have to zero in, um, quite significantly on the value chain itself um, which ultimately of course uh, will be favorable to 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 the the societal goals that we have but it's going to take a lot of work and nobody's really cracked the code yet and the third thing is sustainability diligence Um, and that's um, um, in other words, uh, uh, climate and human rights diligence with respect to M and A and other transactions, and the way in which um, general counsel will have to think longer term about how they build that into any of their post-acquisition integration plans. And there are transactions that they're that they're that they're advising the company to to proceed with or not to proceed with.
0: Eric, uh, thanks very much for taking the time to speak to us today.